Sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my helm of disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus five holy avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. The Michael Graff Show. It is my opinion he is a danger to himself and others and is in need of treatment. Finally, a guy in broadcasting that represents the very average side of us all. The following broadcast is in the hands of a college-educated, barely-employed guy that does a podcast for an audience of fewer people than Paris Hilton has brain cells. It's hard to imagine that he's perpetually single. Now, from the middle of desert Urbania, this is Michael Groff in Exile. It is I, the voice of reason in an otherwise chaotic landscape of talking heads and polarizing rhetoric because somebody has to do it. It's time to put down the Kool-Aid and pick up a big old jug of common sense, all right? Wow. Uh, all right. Well, we're here. Uh, I know it's been a while since there's been a podcast. You know how the routine works with me here. Another edition of Michael Graff in Exile underway. It is Tuesday, July 6th, 2010. And certainly a lot of stuff on the plate here to get into. But before we do that, you know how it works. Mike at KMGX.com. That's my email address. Mike at KMGX.com. Also, that is the PayPal address for this program. Please uh, make your most generous contributions to this show. You want us to stay on the air. You want us to keep doing these podcasts, even as infrequent as they are. Well, part of the reason they are infrequent is because we're operating on not even a shoestring budget. All right? It's like, I don't know, what's less than a shoestring budget? A Walmart budget? A... I don't know, a drawstring? I, I don't know. All right, whatever. We're uh, we're here, though. Uh, Michael Grob Show, AOL Instant Messenger. That is the screen name over there. It's uh, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Also, you can hang out at michaelgroff.com. That is everything Michael Groff related at the one, the only michaelgroff.com. You can log into our chat channel over there and... Uh, Hang out. You know how it works. 24-7, 365, It's always there. Even when I'm not. So in our uh, most recent hiatus, about the last week or so, 
There is a podcast to be posted for June 25th. I just haven't gotten around to doing it because the file got corrupt, so I, I have to rebuild it. That's what I've been doing today, among other things. But uh, in, that, in that week off here, uh, there's been so much to talk about. Obviously, Barack Obama's speech, I'm going to talk about that. And naturally, we've got a lot of news items that I'm going to get into. Hopefully, I'm going to steer clear as much as possible from talking about LeBron James. And uh, I mean, I'm going to mention it. It's it's going to get a mention, you know, we, we have to get into the NBA free agency because that's all you hear about in sports radio. That's all that's all over the news right now. How much money is Amari Stoudemire getting? How much money is LeBron James going to get? Where is he going to land? Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. Uh, it's sports radio is unlistenable because all I'm hearing is people talking about the World Cup and NBA free agency. Two things I couldn't care less about in sports radio. Whatever. Okay. Let's get it started. As you know, there's a lot of news that goes on all the time. Even in the doldrums that we're in right now, the July doldrums of news, which they're definitely here. There's not a lot of new stuff to talk about, but certainly there's a lot of people that have their definition of news. What Fox News thinks is news, what uh, MSNBC or CNN thinks is news. But really, all that matters is what I think is news. People are idiots! Everyone has their own definition of what's newsworthy. The feeling most people get when they hear a Barack Obama speech, my, I felt this thrill going up my leg. I mean, well, I don't have that too often. I guess some people shouldn't be gatekeepers of the news. But lucky for you, the decisions are now in the capable hands of this guy. Seven most salient, salacious, and stimulating storylines of the day. We really should declare a, a NBA free agency free zone around here. I'm telling you. Number seven. Levi Johnson apologizes to Sarah Palin and family. That's it's news, I guess, because you remember uh, he was the, the kid that was dating Bristol Palin and then had all those things to say about the Palin family during the 2008 campaign and following that. And certainly been a vocal critic of then-Governor Palin, now just apparently Tea Party advocate Sarah Palin. I, I don't know. So th it's news only because it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. You can't seem to get away from this story. It's quietly the underscore of basically every news site that's out there. So I figured it at least deserved to mention. Number six. Now, last I checked, NASA was involved in space exploration. And the very goal of NASA was to, well, explore space, uh, discover new technology. I don't know. We NASA's done tremendous things over the years. Though I have been very critical of NASA in the past uh, two decades or so because it doesn't seem that a lot of new things are happening. I know every time I say that, people say, oh, how can you say that? I mean, we're planning on going to Mars and we're planning. Yeah, it's always we're planning this and we're planning that. But we have space shuttle technology straight out of 1960. We have no real ambitions. Okay, we're going to go to Mars eventually. But now I hear that even that's been scrapped. There's really not any 
significant timeline for going to Mars. There's not any significant timeline for anything. I mean, even the space station, that's all a big wash because now these uh, the shuttles are now out of commission. But see, I always thought that that's what NASA's purpose was. But apparently I'm wrong. Evidently, NASA is now trying to reach out to Muslims. What? More on that shortly. Number five. This is just... <laughs> you knew I was going to fit this story in. The Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest uh, occurred over the weekend, over uh, 4th of July. And normally it's a staple. It's something that we mention on this show every single year because it's always been Takiro Kobayashi wins. And then the last couple of years, it's this Joey Chestnut guy that comes and eats like 62 hot dogs or something ridiculous in the 12 minutes. Well, now the, the big news is, number one, Joey Chestnut won the Nathan's Hot Dog Contest. But number two, Takiro Kobayashi got arrested. <laughs> He got arrested for disturbing a hot dog eating contest. I wish my life were that interesting. I could put that on my resume. Number four. How would you like to have a flying car? Well, the flying car is really not that far away. The technology, they say the flying car could be hitting the market as soon as 2011. Huh. Of course... I won't be able to drive it, so why do I care? Number three. The East Coast heat wave. Oh, my God. It's like 95 degrees in Washington, D.C. and New York. It's so hot. Wait a minute. It was 114 in Phoenix last Thursday. Quit your whining. Number two. 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 Federal government officially sues the state of Arizona. Yes, it's official as of 10 o'clock this morning. Eastern Time, uh, the federal government has issued a lawsuit against the state of Arizona over SB 1070, over our controversial immigration policy. So apparently, uh, the rumors that we had heard and when uh, Hillary Clinton made her announcement to Ecuador <laughs> that they were planning to sue the state of Arizona, all of that has come to fruition. It is indeed true. Uh, here it comes. Get ready, Arizona. Number one. Number one. Oil now seeping into New Orleans. Uh, we've already had reports of tar balls reaching the Texas coast as of this morning, and uh, further analysis did conclude that these tar balls were in association with the Deepwater Horizon. Now we have oil officially seeping into New Orleans and Lake Pontchartrain. And once again, this is just a perfect time for me to mention... Why live in New Orleans? It's the bowl-shaped city that's below sea level, surrounded by water, ripe for any hurricane that comes along and flooding. Now you've got oil seeping into... Why? I mean, why? If you believe in God or some type of higher power, they're trying to send you a message, and that message is quite loud and clear. Don't live in New Orleans. Anyway, it's a serious story. It's very sad. It's, um, the video is just stunning. There's talk of even oil rain going on. Yes, oil rain. Some of the uh, oil, some of these uh, hydrocarbons have evaporated. They've gone up into the sky. They've mixed in with the, uh, with the vapor in the atmosphere. And it comes down as 
oil rain. Great. That's just some of the stuff that's happening as of this time. Who needs billion-dollar cable news when you've got Michael Graff? All right. Now, of course, as I said, and I'm just going to mention it here at the top of the show, and then I'm not going to get into it any heavier than this. I am so tired of turning on sports radio and hearing about LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and where they're going to land and Amari Stoudemire going to the New York Knicks. So I'm just going to sum it up like this, okay? Uh, in case, and I know, here we go. He's talking sports! God, no! Look, uh, Amari Stoudemire signed a, a $100 million contract. It's actually $99.7 million dollars but we're splitting hairs at this. But what's 300000 when you've got that much? A uh, nearly $100 million contract, five-year deal with the New York Knicks. Um, Amari Stoudemire, of course, uh, I guess he decided not to come back and play with the Suns. It's not, see, this just goes to show you it's not about winning. It's all about the money. And people say, well, of course it's all about the money, Mike. That's what, you know, not everybody is concerned with just the money. Some people actually want to have the opportunity to win. Some people are winners. Some people care about winning more than they do the money. Some people care about opportunity more than they do monetary success. There actually are those people out there. I know contrary to popular opinion, uh, that is the case. And somebody said, well, Mike, if the Knicks offered you uh, $100 million, no, I wouldn't play there. Number one, I hate New York. Okay. I have no desire to live in New York. You'd have to You'd have to back up about a billion dollars to get me to live in New York, number one. No desire. If I was an NBA player, if I was in Major League Baseball, I would not want to play for the Yankees, the Mets, the Knicks, uh, the Jets, the Giants. The, well, the Rangers and Islanders, who cares because it's hockey. And I'm sure there's like one beat reporter that covers both of them in New York. So I don't, even, I don't think that would be a big deal. But the media alone would drive me to put a gun in my mouth every night. Even if I was good, they'd say, why aren't you better? And of course, if you're not winning, and believe me, Amari Stoudemire signing with the Knicks, they're not going to win. I mean, congratulations, Knicks. You just spent $100 million so you could go and win 35 games a year. Now, in the Eastern Conference, 35 games a year, I mean, you're right on the cusp of making the playoffs at 35 wins. But even so, you've got a guy that, that's a, a good offensive talent. He's a, he's a I'm not going to say great. He's a above-average talent. That is not capable of playing defense when it really matters. He is a defensive liability. And that's all there is to it. You just bought yourself a $20 million a year defensive liability who is a very good offensive player in an era of good offensive players. Amari Stoudemire is not going, he's not the difference maker you need to win a championship. Yeah, sure, he's going to be the number one option for the Knicks because they don't have anybody else. They're the Knicks, for God's sake. And apparently all that crap that he said about Mike D'Antoni, the former coach of the Suns, and his former coach, well, he was still here. Well, they were both here. Apparently all that stuff is washed uh, under the bridge now. Okay? Apparently all the stuff that Mike D'Antoni had to say, apparently that's all gone too. I guess they're going to somehow work together. Here's the big difference though. See, Amari Stoudemire, what he doesn't understand about the Knicks is the Knicks don't have Steve Nash. And see, Amari Stoudemire does have to understand that basketball is a team game. There's more than one guy. It's more than a one-on-one -on -one game at any given time. Steve Nash makes players better. Look, look at numbers. Look at the numbers that uh, Sean Marion put up when he was in Phoenix versus the numbers that he put up when he was out of Phoenix, when he was with 
Miami and Toronto and God knows wherever the hell, Dallas. You know, look at the numbers that Sean Marion has put up since. They're just not the same numbers. It's not the same style of play. Steve Nash makes players around him better. Channing Fry, Channing Fry was almost an afterthought in this league, and then he comes to the Phoenix Suns, and he's one of the top shooting, uh, top three point shooting guys in the NBA. Steve Nash is the difference maker. It's not Amari Stoudemire. And you can try and tell me, well, Amari Stoudemire, back before Steve Nash came to the Suns, uh, they were playing the Spurs in the playoffs. Yeah, he was scoring 38 points a game against the Spurs, and they were still getting blown out by 20. Because it was him and it was Joe Johnson, and that was pretty much it. And you could say, well, they had Stephon Marbury. Stephon Marbury is nothing. He was... Nothing when he was playing for the Suns, and uh, really, I could make an argument that for the most part in his career, he really wasn't that much of a difference maker either. Uh, look at the number of rings, uh, rings. Look at the number of games that teams that he was on won, and look at how much he contributed. Not all that much. Yeah, when he wanted to, sometimes. The point is, this free agency stuff is such hype, and it's such nonsense. Now. If you get somebody like LeBron James in New York, if you get somebody like uh, even Dwayne Wade or Chris Bosh, you get something like that going in New York, sure, you've got a legitimate chance of not only making the playoffs, but actually doing something in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern, Eastern Conference is relatively weak. It's relatively weak. I mean, yeah, okay, at the top, the Celtics, but the Celtics, their window is pretty much closed. Pretty much. I think that it's it is the Eastern Conference, so they still have a chance to to compete, and it all depends on where these other guys go. But I'm not going to sit here and speculate forever. I don't really care where they go. All indications, it seems Dwayne Wade probably ends up in Chicago. He's going through a nasty divorce right now. It all is going to come down to custody, and he has made statements about uh, doing the best thing for his family, and that is really what's more important. Amari Stoudemire, you might want to pay attention to this. Somebody has something a bit more important than just money. Yeah, this is going to be a news flash for you. But there are more things in life than money. I mean, right now, I'd sure like some money, but <laughs> there are things more important. When you're an NBA player, sometimes there's things called championships. There's something called winning. Do you think the New York Knicks, honestly, are a better are a more competitive team than the Phoenix Suns or any of the other teams that Amari could have gone to aside from the Nets? I mean, he's clearly not. Greedy guys and dumb guys are going to make greedy guy and dumb guy decisions. That's what they do. That's what these types of people will do. And Amari Stoudemire clearly made the decision that he wanted to be uh, where the money was. Robert Sarver decided not to pay him. Robert Sarver said, hey, I think uh, with Hakeem Warwick, this team is going to be just fine. Well, again, uh, you know, I have to tell you, I think the Suns are still a playoff team, but Hakeem Warwick does basically nothing for me. You know, uh, Hakeem Warwick is is uh, the, the, the fat woman in the corner of the bar when it's uh, 1.30 a.m. and you've had seven beers. You know, you're, you're kind of like, well, if I had about four or five more, I guess, I guess that'd be all right. I mean, she's not like Rosie. Hakeem Warwick isn't quite like Rosie O'Donnell. Hakeem Warwick's just like, you know, chunky, kind of homely girl 
with the bad hair and the bad skin that's in the corner. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm not. I will say this. Hakeem Work will play defense, which is sort of the longest four-letter word that exists in the Phoenix Suns organization. What's that? What's this defense thing? We don't need that. All right, so I just had to weigh in on that. Tiger Woods, I want to weigh in on this too. Since since we're on the sports stuff, I might as well get to this. Tiger Woods, at this point, first of all, there's a report out that uh, his uh, soon-to-be ex-wife officially is seeking, well, there's one report that says that she's seeking $750 million. That was a report that was out last week. Now there's another report that's a little bit more <laughs> reasonable saying that she's seeking $100 million from Tiger. Um, no, I don't think women are in it for the money at all. I don't think, I don't think they're gold diggers. <laughs> are you kidding me? Really? A hundred million. What did she do? Let's see. How many, how many par fives uh, did she eagle? How, how many eagles and birdie putts? How many of those putts did Elon ever make? I'm just curious. I've always wondered this. It's just like with the Cynthia Rodriguez case when she's divorcing A-Rod and, uh, or um, uh, what was uh, Michael Jordan's wife? Uh, I just, I just forgot her name. Um, anyway, I always ask these questions like, how many game-winning shots or how many game-winning hits did you ever make? You don't deserve the money. Now, I know Tiger's a scumbag, and he went out and he cheated on his wife. Yes, he's a scumbag. But guess what? In the United States, we don't reward people who are married to scumbags. We don't reward you because you made a bad choice and decided to marry a celebrity while he was uh, a sports, an athlete, while he was still at the top of his game. We don't reward you for making such a dumb decision. And that is a dumb decision. Make no mistake about it. Like, how dumb do you have to be? I know people are going to write me now. My, so you're saying it's it's her fault that, that he cheated on? No, I'm not saying it's her fault. I'm saying that if you're going to expect $100 million because you did, and you really didn't do anything, you married a guy that had a lot of money. You married somebody that had a skill set that made him a lot of money. So therefore, you're entitled to that money because you happen to sign a nuptial agreement. You happen to uh, put on a ring and go through a, a series of vows. You're suddenly entitled to monetary compensation because you did that. Where does that make sense? Now, she's entitled to some compensation because they have children. So I'm, I'm totally understanding of that. I get that. And I'm sure that the child support alone, and I'm just going to guess right now, but I bet the child support alone is like $100,000 a week. I'm serious. I'm sure a judge would probably award Elon, I don't know, fifty dollars or $100,000 a week in child support. Actually, the more interesting divorce case that's going on is this McCord uh, divorce in Los Angeles. The owners of the Dodgers... They're getting the divorce, and uh, ooh, that's that's ugly. Yeah, I don't even have time. I, that would be a whole podcast just to break down what they're demanding and, and some of the things that they're alleging and some of the back and forth that's going on there. And uh, that is really going to hamstring that organization for a long time. So if you're a Dodger fan right about now, I mean, you've got good players. You've got a lot of guys that can that can be difference makers, but you better get used to them because this is one of those cases where I, they're they're pretty much going to stay.
they're certainly not going to take on payroll. Not at this time. Because they're fighting over the value of the team and, and they, they, you know, Frank McCord, he wants his. Woman wants hers. All right. Anyway, we, we do have a lot of other stuff to get into. As I mentioned, all the uh, stuff in our in our top seven there I want to mention. Uh, oh, and one other thing here, just real quick. I know, more sports, God. Yeah. The World Cup is coming to a conclusion. I guess... They're calling this an upset. Uh, the Netherlands beat Uruguay. I, I don't know why that's an upset. I don't know anything about soccer. Nobody cares about soccer. By the way, you notice, since the U.S. was eliminated, guess what happened? The TV ratings for the World Cup went down. Gee, imagine that. I guess soccer isn't going to gain the momentum that everybody thought it would. All we heard on sports radio and all that the big pundits and talking heads could talk about was, oh, see, this is finally it. Soccer is finally going to be put on the board. We've been hearing that forever. We've been hearing that for a long time. The only reason that soccer was getting the TV ratings that it was this year was because the U.S. actually made it out of the qualifying round. The U.S. actually made it into, a, you know, the next round. And then, of course, they got they got completely destroyed by a country that hardly anybody's ever heard of, Ghana. You know, I mean, nobody cares. Now that the U.S. has been eliminated, nobody cares, and the TV ratings show up. They're, they're down. They're not, now they're, they're not as bad as I thought they would be, but still, the, the ratings are down, and that's, that's pretty much what I expected. No surprise there. Let me, uh, let's take a break. And when we continue, I'll get into, um, let's see. Well, first of all, I got to talk about the Obama speech from last week. Have to talk about the feds suing the state of Arizona and uh, a host of other things. And we'll just, I, I, I know it's hard to believe that we have so much to talk about. I know when I don't do a show for a while, the things they just keep piling up on the desk. Plus there is the flying car. I know. That's cool. I'm Mike at KMGX.com is the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. I know people are going to say, Mike, the flying car story has been going. We've been talking about that for years. Yeah. Okay. But now it's, it looks like it's out next year. I wonder how much gas that uses. We'll be back. Segment number two, it's Michael Groff in exile on a Tuesday. 
It's July 6, 2010. Mike at KMGX.com is our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Grob Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Of course, you know the PayPal address. That's also Mike at KMGX.com. Your donations always encouraged. Look at my budget, my expenses, and it, it ain't pretty. This show costs me money. does the kilowatt hours alone to be this badass I don't know alright I like how I'm proclaiming that I'm badass while uh, we use the bumper of Stacy Orico in the background I don't know I don't know if those two really necessarily tie together but just thought I'd throw that out there All right, so I have to get into this because this happened last week and we didn't have a show, so I wanted to make sure that I mentioned this. Uh, Barack Obama gave a speech last week addressing the illegal immigration issue. It was about time the president weighed in on this. We really hadn't heard much about it, but of course we all knew that it was going to be a speech about comprehensive immigration reform. Now... It felt really more like the president was serving his side of the debate. And make no mistake that this is the ongoing debate that goes on in this country about the issue of illegal immigrants, what should be done. We've talked about it ad nauseum on this show year after year after year. And I've been screaming that this is a problem. And really, neither Republicans nor Democrats want to do anything about it. But of course, conveniently, both parties blame the opposing party for the problem. When really both parties have contributed to the problem more than anything. And that's just the way it is. And I'm going to say, and I would say that this is mostly true of Congress. Most representatives in Congress, uh, as we've mentioned before, on the Republican side, they like it, the cheap labor that comes in, good for business. The Democrats, they like it because it empowers their voter base. It's a broader voter base. As we all know, people that come here uh, illegally, generally speaking, uh, they're more supportive of uh, the Democratic Party. So therefore, They're not going to kick those people out of here because when and if they become legal, when and if there is comprehensive immigration reform, that's a broadening of their base, a substantial broadening of that base. So there's no way that that's ever going to get chased out. So the president had to weigh in and really because he wants to urge Congress into pushing comprehensive immigration reform. Now, for a lot of people, and I read a lot of comments about this, I listened to a lot of pundits talk about it, and I even talked about this uh, with a few people, and a lot of people said, well, it was just a crap speech. It was just a piece of crap. You know, if you look at that speech and you just call it a piece of crap, well, you really missed a lot because it was not a, I'll say, it was not a piece of crap speech in the sense that it was a very, well done, a very craftily worded speech. And the president, uh, he really read off the teleprompter brilliantly in this one and really sold it well in this one. The thing is, is that while uh, he used a very interesting debate tactic, and again, make no mistake, this wasn't just a speech. This was a rebuttal to the immigration debate, which is just getting out of hand once again because of Arizona's uh, SB 1070 and then the fact that the federal government wants to step in and sue us because we're daring to enforce the law here in the state. So um, the president did a very old debate tactic, which is really quite intellectually dishonest. 
if you listen to the speech, uh, it had to do with, uh, well, uh, he gave some great anecdotes about a woman that came over here to the United States and she started a business and now it's got a hundred employees or something like that. It's just this, this wonderful story about a woman that came over here and was nothing. And then she rose to the top and now she has her own business and she employs a lot of people and she's created jobs. And isn't that wonderful? And then the president gave another great anecdote about how Jews fled much of Eastern Europe when the wave of anti-Semitism started in the early part of the 20th century and how they uh, wanted to come to the United States to get away from that and uh, build a better life for themselves. And how ultimately, of course, Hitler started the mass genocide that went on of Jews and others across Germany. So naturally... Um, there was a, a mass exodus from there and how they made the, the trek uh, many thousands of miles to get to the United States. And then the president went on to say, give us your, give us your cold, your tired, your huddled masses. But all of this is great. All of that is wonderful. It's great rhetoric. It really plays on the emotion. But the, there's one little subtle problem with it. And that is, It has absolutely nothing to do with illegal immigration whatsoever. All of those great anecdotes have nothing to do with the with the issue. They're meant to be used as to obfuscate the issue. They're meant to be used so that you think, well, I mean, gosh, immigrants have been such a part of our culture for so long that I guess all these people that have come in here. Well, I mean, they're just coming in here to make a better life for themselves. And who cares about laws and It's meant to blur the line between legal and illegal immigration. It is an intellectually dishonest debate tactic to use. Because, again, it's it's deliberately done so that you don't make the distinction between a legal and illegal immigrant. And that's what the open borders, the the pro-illegal immigration crowd wants to do. They want to just let you know that, hey... We're a nation of immigrants. We are a give us your huddled masses. Well, that's all great and warm fuzzy, but the thing is, as in the anecdote about the woman that came here and built a business, she was a legal immigrant. You're not going to own a business and employ 100 people if you're here illegally. It's just not going to happen. You're going to get found out. And all the, uh, the, all the people that migrated here. Well, the immigration laws were a lot different 100 years and 150 and 200 years ago. In fact, there weren't illegal immigration laws two centuries ago. It was a whole different situation. This was a building, developing nation. So I would have to tell you that things, it was a completely different time. You can't just compare the two eras to one another. If you want a more comparable comparison, then you have to look back to the Reagan amnesty of the mid-1980s, one of the biggest mistakes this country ever did. And then we said we'd never do it again, and here we are on the precipice of doing it again. And there was talk last week that the president was actually going to put pen to paper and issue an executive order granting amnesty to the 10 or 12 million people that are in this country illegally. So the speech was full of a lot of emotional talk. It was full of a lot of stuff meant to obfuscate the issue and really play on your emotions. But really, when it came down to content and substance, it wasn't there. It just wasn't. 
And again, that's where this president is. He is long on style and short on substance, just as I said two years ago about the guy. And here we are. And that's what you get. You get long on style and short on substance. And the speech talked about how, well, he was a senator. Both he and John McCain and others, Ted Kennedy, all pushed for comprehensive immigration reform. Yeah, we all remember that. John McCain nearly got tossed right out of office as a result of it. And then John McCain had to drop that crap when he was running for president. He had to pretend to be a conservative and get away from the pro-amnesty talk so he could run for president. Luckily, people saw through that, of course. The only problem was that he was running against Barack Obama and we got stuck with the greater of two evils. That's really the, the bottom line is, yeah, it worked. People got really turned off to John McCain. Unfortunately, it's it was it came at a time when there wasn't anybody else running against him that was any better. That was a real tragedy. So the speech that it was not a piece of crap speech in the sense that it was well done. I bet a lot of people ate that up and they said, yeah, you know, the president is so right. We have people. This is a nation of immigrants. We all came here. and Yeah, that's all great. Oh, I'm not an immigrant. Uh, I was born in Minnesota. Last I checked, that's one of the 50 states. Well, what about your mom? Well, my mom was born in North Dakota. Well, what about your grandmother? Well, I believe she was born in North Dakota as well. So for at least three generations, we've been in the United States. Our family has been in the United States. So, you know, while we're a nation of immigrants, yeah, we were a, a century ago. But see, times are changing now. So you have to get with it. We have laws. See, while we're a nation of immigrants, or while we were a nation of immigrants, we're still a nation of laws. We're still a nation that is founded on basic principles. Like any society, we have basic rules, a basic infrastructure in place that holds the fabric of this country and the fabric of our very society together. And those are the laws that, that keep us from being incredibly stupid, that keep us from, well, utter anarchy. And these laws need to be upheld. And if the federal government just decides what laws they're going to pick and choose, then people are going to figure out what laws the government decides to pick and choose, and they're going to break the ones that the government decides not to enforce. And right now, that law is the illegal immigrant law. People come in here, and whether it's, it's for legitimate purposes, whether it's to make a better life for themselves, or whether it's here for the drug trafficking, or whether it's here just to leech off the system, whatever the case may be, it's really not relevant. That's the whole point, is it's not relevant. I don't care why somebody is coming to the United States illegally. I care that somebody is coming to the United States illegally, and that something needs to be done about it. And every time we try to do something about it in this country, we're stopped. There's a blockade that's put up. We, they, they, you know, the, the common talking point is the Democrats will tell you, and I hear this on, on liberal radio all the time. They tell you, well, what we should do is we should really go after these, these employers that hire the illegals. Well, then the state of Arizona did just that several years ago. We tried, we, we started the employer sanctions law. And no sooner did we do that than guess what? It got taken to court. Sound familiar? Now, the law was upheld. Even in the most liberal court in the U.S., the Ninth Circuit Court in San Francisco, the law was upheld. So the employer sanctions law continued. But it still gets challenged. 
It's still here, but it doesn't really have a lot of teeth to it anyway. But every time we try to institute a law, there's a blockade. Somebody tries to fight it. Just like with SB 1070. Now you've got the federal government issuing a lawsuit against the state of Arizona. It's, it's amazing. The, the government doesn't want to enforce their own immigration law. And then when somebody takes it upon themselves to do their job for them, they sue them saying, no, you're not going to do this job. Only we can do that job. Well, you're not doing it. Yeah, well, guess what? Uh, we, we, that's who cares? It's our job to do. You don't have the right to do it. Well, actually, I think we do. The Constitution says we do. Our own state Constitution says we do. And the United States Constitution says we have that right. Look it up. There's many clauses. Uh, we, we have the 10th Amendment. We have the 14th Amendment. We have uh, the ability to enforce our laws. There's many precedent that say that local officials can enforce federal law. A police officer sees a guy robbing a bank. Well, rob bank robbery, that's a felony. It's a federal offense. But that doesn't mean that a local police officer can't go in there and bust it up. So I'm just, I'm, I continue to be perplexed. I continue to be baffled by this administration and by the, the decisions that go on. And by this speech last week, which was just so mind-numbing where the president actually looked us in the face and said, well, we need comprehensive immigration reform and we can't throw out 10 or 12 million people. And then he took another swipe at Arizona, calling our law misguided or whatever word he used. I believe he, I don't know, inappropriate or whatever uh, verbiage he decided to use last week. But he always takes a swipe at us. He always takes a swipe at the state of Arizona. And other states, what about those other states that are starting to do something about it now? What about the, what is it, uh, 11 or 12 or 16 other states now that, that are starting to enact uh, similar legislation? What are you going to do? Are you going to take all of those states to court? See, here's the thing. You as an individual can't sue the federal government about this. You can't. The United States, you cannot sue the federal government of the United States unless the federal government of the United States says you can sue them. They have what's, what's called crown immunity or sovereign immunity now. It, it was crown immunity back in the old days. Uh, the, you know, the king, you could never sue the king, just like you can't sue the president. I mean, conceivably, the president could walk out of the White House, he could pull out an AK-47 and waste everybody around him, and nobody could do anything about it. He couldn't because he has, again, it goes back to crown immunity. He has sovereignty. Of course, impeachment proceedings can be brought against him or as, uh, as soon as his term in office is over, then you can arrest him. Then you can bring charges against him. But until that point, you cannot. I mean, you could try, but he can just pardon himself. So what's the point? Um, but the bottom line here is, uh, the speech, it was not horrible. It was, it was horrible in the sense that, uh, content wise, if you really broke it down, if you really gave it a listen, if you critically listened and did critical thinking and, and analyzing of the speech, that's where it fell short, but no, well worded. This president certainly knows how to play to his base, but guess what? Here's the problem. His base continues to shrink. The polls continue to show uh, increasing disapproval numbers for the president. 
And that's not very surprising at all. Not even a little bit. All right, shifting gears. Um, we need a uh, we need music for like nerd rage or something because there's. I have to talk about this. Normally, I wouldn't even talk about something like this, but this is just it, it's it is growing out of hand as I sit here and do this show right now. I'm seeing this is actually now making it onto like legitimate websites. Blizzard Entertainment. They have uh, one of the largest. Well, it's actually the largest online role-playing game out there. It is called World of Warcraft, for those of you that live under a rock and don't know anything about it. World of Warcraft with over 10 million users. Uh, they're unrolling uh, a new feature called the Real ID System. Now, it's it's part of uh, this network. It's, it's uh, part of an authentication system that they have. Anyway, anytime you post on the message boards or on their forums, uh, very soon what will happen is it will also show your real name. It will attach your real name to the system. That's what's the real ID system. And they're going, they've, they're already starting to integrate this into their gaming system. They've already changed their privacy policy to reflect this and they're letting their users know that they want to integrate this into the system. Now, Apparently, this is like jabbing the hornet's nest of nerds with a stick because Blizzard's board, this was today, this started. There's over 11,000, at the time I'm doing this, actually, it's almost, it's, uh, it's over 12,000 posts on their message board about this one topic alone. So why am I even bringing it up? Well, because obviously there's some issues about uh, giving out people's real names. And to show you how much of an issue that is, um, one of the Blizzard employees, to show that Blizzard is willing to put their money where their mouth is, uh, one of their employees put his real name on the site. He put his real name up there on, on the uh, Blizzard message boards. And apparently... <laughs> His name is Micah Whipple, this guy. And evidently, people went online, and as you know, uh, the internet, you don't really have any reasonable expectation of privacy. You can look up some startling information about yourself online. You really can. You can find out. It's, it's crazy. So people, of course, immediately looked up his name and looked up his information, and lo and behold, uh, people started posting his home address, his phone number, and other information about Mr. Whipple. And, uh, well, there's one little problem with that is that uh, the person that they posted apparently wasn't even the Blizzard employee. Apparently it was a different Micah Whipple. From what I understand, and now that person is getting a lot of phone calls, a lot of pizzas delivered to their house, and all sorts of other things, allegedly. I don't know how true that is, though I do know that the person, uh, they've been posting uh, different Micah Whipples up there, uh, information like phone number and address and everything like that, where they live. So uh, whoever that is is getting a lot of phone calls. Now, obviously, this could be actionable on the part of... Uh, whoever this guy is, Michael Whipple, obviously it's quite actionable, especially if it's not even the real person. If it's not even the right person. Suddenly they're getting calls. They don't know why. 
They don't know what the deal is. They don't know why a bunch of stupid nerd teenagers sat there with no lives, sat there and decided that they're going to go and look up their information and just start posting it all over the place online. See, this is the problem when you have fanatics, and there's a lot of Blizzard fanatics out there. I like StarCraft. I like. I even like World of Warcraft. I, I've. I don't. I haven't played it recently, but I've played it. Why not? I mean, I'm. Uh, I'm just as much a gamer as anybody. I guess. I guess I'm not that fanatic. I generally don't go on the message boards because, really. <sighs> Who goes on these message boards? Who, who wants to go over there? Because you know you're just going to see a bunch of... Um, you're going to see uh, a lot of the same usual flame wars and a lot of people with um, dissecting people's arguments, trolling, and uh, just just the nonsense that is associated with message boards on a general basis. But the, the point here is, is that people, there's a furor that's erupting over the idea that your real name could be posted online. Now, I understand why people would be upset by this. I understand you sign up. You, you don't expect that your real name is just going to be posted on the internet for everybody to see. Well, here's the, the little problem is, I don't know how many people understand this or not, but there is no reasonable expectation of privacy when you go on the internet. You do understand that Every email you send, it goes through a bunch of different routers. It goes through a bunch of different servers before it gets to your intended target. So just about anybody that, that's at that ISP or at other ISPs could be looking at your email. Certainly. It can be intercepted. It can be read by a whole bunch of people. You don't have any expectation of privacy there. I don't care if you're sending it from your home email. I don't care if you encrypt it or not. People can still read it. You post something online, uh, it's, it can be tied back to your IP address. And then somebody can look up your IP address, they can see who you are. The idea, the notion that you have this expectation of privacy on the internet is just ludicrous. Now, the argument though is, well, wait a minute though, wait a minute. I didn't sign up to play this game so I could have my real name put on the internet. And that's a legitimate argument. It is legit. I, I understand. I don't really think that in most cases, in like 99.999% of the cases, I don't really think there's going to be a lot of people that decide to look up somebody's information on, on Intellis or whatever it is and then uh, go and, and post your name and number all over the place. I just don't see that happening very often. Uh, hardly at all. Certainly no more so than people that post stuff on Facebook. See, that, that's the, the other problem. The crux of the problem is we're such a society that is a notice me and pay attention to me sort of society where everybody puts their entire lives up on Facebook and Twitter and MySpace and on message boards and everybody has to be noticed all the time and they, they want to post everything about themselves. And they're just no, pay attention to me, and every second it's an update about this and that, and look at this, and look at me, and look, and that's 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 what a lot of this furor is about too. These, uh, it's almost thirteen thousand posts now, or twelve thousand five hundred posts. That's what most of this is. Most of this is people are just overreacting, and they're blowing it way out of proportion. And people are saying, oh, "I'm going to cancel." You know, those people. As soon as uh, World of Warcraft comes out with their next expansion, which is called Cataclysm which I guess will be coming out later this year. 
as soon as that comes out, you know that all of these nerds that went out on their nerd rage and decided that they're going to cancel their subscriptions, I'm never playing this again. They'll be right back. It happens all the time. It's just like when we used to do the live show and people would say, I'm never listening again. And then that person that very next week would email me about how stupid I was on another topic and then claim they're never listening again for the third or fourth or eighth or 137th time. And almost never did somebody that claimed they were never going to listen again actually never listened again. That's just how it is. That's that's how people are. They're reactionary. They get upset. And then after a while, that, that anger sort of fades. And we're kind of seeing that with this oil spill right now. There's a lot of people that are still upset. And there's a lot of people that just don't know what to do anymore. And there's a lot of despair going on. But you know, the, the crazy thing about it is, is it's not on the top of the news cycles anymore. You know, I turned on the news today. I actually, actually made the mistake of put on uh, one of the local stations. Do you know what they were talking about? They were talking about Lindsay Lohan going to jail. That was the big news. We got tar balls washing up on the Texas coast. We've got oil seeping into New Orleans and Lake Pontchartrain. We've got oil on the Alabama, Mississippi, and Florida coasts as well. So now all five of the Gulf Coast states have uh, have seen some evidence of this oil washing up on shore. We've got BP. They're not stopping this thing. We got the president. He doesn't know what to do. And yet, we're talking about Lindsay Lohan going to jail. Like, who cares? How is that going to impact anything whatsoever? And yet, mysteriously, this is what's news. Of course, once again, it's our local news here in Phoenix. And if you ever check out the news in Phoenix, there's only a couple of stations I can tell you that are ever going to give you any sort of hard news whatsoever. And one of those stations is not Channel 3. Channel 3 will show you what's going on in Mrs. Zellner's garden. They'll talk about the celebrity gossip and the fact that Lindsay Lohan's going to jail. And they'll talk about the fact that uh, uh, George Michael got arrested again or whatever. They'll tell you all about that. But, you know, the, the whole uh, Texas coast, uh, the tar balls washing up there, uh, General Petraeus, the war in Afghanistan. That gets maybe, I don't know, 30 seconds of mention. Well, there's a war going on in Afghanistan. Hey, let's go out to some random, uh, our, one of these hot anchor chicks that we have to look at Mrs. Zellner's garden. Well, you see, look at this. It's, uh, these are some beautiful azaleas. It's, it's remarkable. All right. I, um, <laughs> I'm speechless. I really am. Mike at KMGX.com is our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Um, Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. We're also on EFNet IRC, the channel net radio. MichaelGroff.com for all things Michael Groff related. All right, we'll take a break. And a lot more stuff still to get to. You know how we do. It's the Tuesday version of Michael Groff in Exile. And, uh, well, we'll be back.
Holding on, waiting for your call. It's simple, but I can't explain this. I'm sinking down. I feel like I could die. I'm falling off. I don't know why. I still believe it when you say it's another perfect day. Another perfect day I still believe it when you say It's another perfect day Another perfect day Alright, back with segment number three It's Michael Groff in exile On a Tuesday Mike at KMGX.com The email address It's Mike at KMGX.com Michael Groff Show AOL Instant Messenger It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show On AOL Instant Messenger You can always donate to our PayPal address Of course that's also Conveniently Mike at KMGX.com All of our contact information Our chat channel and more Is available at the one The only MichaelGroff.com Also the latest episodes Of the podcast Always posted there. Alright, so by the year 2011, we could have a flying car. Now, this is somewhat legit, and I'm, I'm looking at the pictures. You know, obviously, it looks, well, it looks kind of like a plane, it's a car with wings. And that's really the concept behind it. It's not the Jetsons car. It's not this circular thing with a glass dome over it. If you're expecting that kind of technology, well, then maybe you might want to get real. But it still is interesting. This is a company that's based out of Massachusetts. They're called Terrafugia. I think they're out of Woburn, Massachusetts. They say that they plan to deliver this car plane, the transition, to customers by the end of 2011. Now, the FAA recently cleared an FAA hurdle that granted a special weight limit uh, exemption to the transition. Uh, here's what they say about it. Quote, it's the next wow vehicle, said Terrafugia Vice President Richard Garsh. Gersh, rather. Uh, anybody can buy a Ferrari, but as we say, Ferraris don't fly. The transition is a long way from uh, cartoon dad George Jetson's flying car uh, flying high above the traffic, uh, even in the uh, magical uh, chitty chitty bang bang, there is no launch button on the instrument panel. Rather, the car plane has wings that unfold for flying, which is a process that the company says takes one minute. They fold back up for driving. Uh, a runway is still required to take off and land, however. See, this is where it kind of sucks. Meanwhile, though, the transition is being marketed more as a plane that drives rather than a car that flies. Although it is both, the company has been working with the FAA to meet aircraft regulations and with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to meet with vehicle safety regulations. Uh, good luck with that, guys. The company is pitching the transition to private pilots as a more convenient and cheaper way to fly. They say that it eliminates the hassle of trying to find another mode of transportation to get to you uh, from the airports. So you drive the car to the airport, and then, of course, you know, you have to get on the plane, 
uh, your own private plane, then you land someplace else, then you got to get another car, then you got to drive someplace. Of course, obviously, if you have a, if you're a private pilot, chances are you have enough money to afford a couple of cars. But nonetheless, this way, you just drive to the airport and you're all set. You're good to go. There's no expensive hangar fees because you don't have to store it at the airport. You simply take it to the garage at home. The plane is designed to fly primarily under 10,000 feet. It has a maximum takeoff weight of 1,430 pounds, including fuel and passengers. Gas mileage on the road is about 30 miles per gallon. Now, the company says that the transition reduces the potential for an accident by allowing pilots to drive under bad weather instead of flying into marginal conditions. The transition price tag, oh, here we go. Now, this is the big thing. The price tag on this is $194,000. Yes, $194,000. But there may be additional charges for options like a radio, uh, a transponder, or GPS. Another option is a full plane parachute. Uh, that'd probably be a good option. That might not be something you'd want to skimp out on. Well, I don't know if I want that plane parachute. Look, if you're paying $194,000 for it, you probably are going to want the parachute. Just just saying. Quote, if you get into a very dire situation, it's the ultimate safety option, Gersh says. So far, the company has more than uh, 70 orders with deposits, he said. Terrafugia is Latin for escape from the land. The company was founded in 2006 by five Massachusetts Institute of Technology grad students who were also pilots. They received some seed money from the school the concept of a car plane has been found since at least the 1950s, but it's possible for Terrafugia uh, because it's the first company to mass produce one. Let's see. So this is this is big news. All right, other stuff happening. I mentioned off the top of the show, Levi Johnson uh, is apologizing to the Palin family uh, because of uh, all of the all of the crap that he talked after the breakup between he and Bristol Palin. Back in 2008, of course, obviously there was a, this was a rift and the media used this uh, during the campaign and uh, the issue of morals and everything about this and, and the whole Bristol Palin thing. You know, I really don't care about this story very much. It's just kind of a slow news day, to be honest with you. But what is a story that I am interested in, I, I just had to mention the Levi Johnson thing because it's all over the place. People are talking about it. It's making its rounds to the talk radio circuit. People are still blasting Palin over this kid and Come on. The story that's the most egregious of the day, though, NASA Administrator Charles Bolden said that the most important mission, the foremost mission for NASA, take a guess at what that might be. NASA, who last I checked, was all about going to the moon and space exploration and finding new technology and they've done a, a, a many wonderful things. And I know there's talk of going to Mars eventually. I don't know when that's actually going to take place, probably a, a hundred years or so from now, but whenever that happens. But he says the foremost mission as the head of America's Space Exploration Agency is to improve relations with the Muslim world? Huh? Though international diplomacy would seem well outside NASA's orbit, Bolden said in an interview with Al Jazeera that 
straightening those ties among the t- is among the top tasks that President Obama assigned him. He said that better interaction with the Muslim world would ultimately advance space travel. Yes, then we could bring Stone Age ideologies to the rest of the galaxy. That what a great idea. We could bring the mistreatment of women and Sharia law. We could spread Sharia law throughout the galaxy. Think about it. Think about how great that would be. Yes, we could fly a shuttle right into the sun and blow it up too. Quote, when I became the NASA administrator, or before I became the NASA administrator, he charged me with three things. One was he wanted me to help re-inspire children to want to get into science and math. He wanted me to expand our international relationships. And third, and perhaps foremost, he wanted me to find a way to reach out to the Muslim world and engage much more with... (sighs) and engage much more with dominantly Muslim nations to help them feel good about their historic contribution to science and math and engineering. So according to Charles Bolden, he says that the most important part of NASA is to coddle the Muslim community and make sure that we acknowledge their accomplishments and that we acknowledge their contributions to world science and math and, and engineering. Well, I have to say, I mean, they make some some pretty good bombs. They, well, actually, they, they actually don't. And that's, that's good. I mean, so look at that, that one in New York City, that one in Times Square. So really... That's what they want NASA to do. They want the space agency. President Obama wants the space agency to say, that's a good widow must you. Oh, look, what's that? Oh, look at your science project. That is so cute. What is it? It's a shuttle. Well, why does your shuttle? Well, what's the racing stripe on there? Well, I just think that it looks really sharp. Really? Really, the job of our space agency is not to... No wonder we're not going to the moon. No wonder we're not going to Mars. No wonder we're not doing any more exploration. No wonder, because now our our space agency is here to help inspire children in math and science. I have no problem with that. But the foremost mission of NASA all of a sudden is to is to tell the Muslims that they're, that they're wonderful and tell them how much they've contributed to... to the scientific community? <laughs> Why are we telling Christians how much they've contributed or, or Buddhists or, um, oh, I guess we're not supposed to do that. But that's a good widow, Muslim. You did great. Oh, Akbar, I can't tell you uh, what kind of wonderful achievements you've made. That's the foremost mission of NASA, to give kudos to Muslims. what i think of that story no really that is what i think of that story give me a break quote it is a matter of trying to reach out and get the most of all worlds if you will and there is much to be gained by drawing in the contribution that are uh possible from the muslim nations how about we just draw it from all of humanity why do we have to single it out why do we have to well let's go to the muslim community and let's go to the chinese and let's go to all the different religions and different why not just humans as a whole 
Why do we have to reach out to one specific community or another? Why do we have to continue to divide? Shouldn't it be about uniting? Instead, what we're going to do is uh, the, the, the foremost mission of NASA. This is what he says. The foremost mission. No, it's not space exploration. It's telling Muslims that they're good people. No wonder we can't stop an oil spill. We're probably too busy uh, telling the rest of the world how much we love them and how much we care about them. Really? Huh. This is, uh, this is great. This is great. All right. Well, um... Oh, and then there's this. Speaking of President Obama, I might as well just throw this in. So apparently uh, President Obama is uh, going to appoint some people to his staff without congressional approval. Uh, he wants to appoint Dr. Donald Berwick, an expert in patient care who's uh, drawn fire from the GOP to oversee Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, the White House announced this uh, on Tuesday. Uh, the appointment was to be made on Wednesday with... How about this? With lawmakers out of town for their annual 4th of July break, White House Communications Director Dan Pfeffer uh, said in a post on the White House blog that the decision means that Berwick can assume the post of administrator of the content for Medicare and Medicaid services without undergoing confirmation hearings in the Senate. Why not? The president's already bypassed any of the other usual tactics. I mean, we've just decided that we're arbitrarily gonna gonna fine a corporation um, just a, an arbitrary amount of money without going through any sort of legal process. And again, no, please don't send me it. I'm not defending BP. I'm just telling you how it is. We have laws, we have regulations, we have rules, and somehow this president just says, you know what? I'm gonna appoint people to uh, to various posts. I don't need congressional approval. Who needs that? Where does it say that? In the Constitution. Oh, yeah, that thing. Well, I've been ignoring that forever. I'm just going to go ahead and sue Arizona while I'm at it. I told you this administration, this is a, this is, this is a d disaster. This administration is a, you know what, though? I will say this. There are a couple of very snarky, very smug people that were such ardent Obama supporters and I'll tell you what, some of them are, on, uh, well, I, I know I can think of them. They're on my Facebook. Okay. I actually, you know, they're friends of mine on Facebook. Of course, I haven't heard from them in a long time. I would just love to hear their opinion right now. I, I should, I haven't gone on my Facebook page in, in several weeks, but I would love to go on there. Maybe I should, maybe I should just go on there and, and just see, because uh, they're probably not quite so snarky now. Because I, I told you what kind of a disaster this was going to be. And here it is. It's a disaster. All right. Uh, the heat wave that's gripping the East Coast. I mentioned this at the top of the show as well. And uh, how about how about you people on the East Coast stop whining? You know, it was 114 in Phoenix on Thursday last week. Why is it that as soon as it hits 95 degrees in the East Coast, people start dying? People start, they can't figure out how to turn on an air conditioner. Or they haven't figured out to build houses or apartment buildings with air conditioners. Or they haven't figured out that, hey, it's hot. I should probably drink more water. And they say that supposedly the people in the uh, these big, uh, you know, big people in New York said they're, they're so sophisticated. 
Washington, D.C. Such sophisticated people that live in the East Coast. Ah, this is all flyover country here. Arizona, it's all flyover country. You people are stupid. Yeah, well, you know what's funny is it gets to 114 here and nobody dies. It gets to 90 there and you all drop dead. And then you cry about it. It's hot for three or four days. Like I'm looking at the forecast right now for New York City. Okay, tomorrow, again, going to have highs in the upper 90s tomorrow. Then about 90 on Thursday. And then the low 90s on Friday. And then it's going to cool down to the mid 80s. Mid 80s. Do you know, I would kill somebody if I could have temperatures in the mid 80s in Phoenix. And no, not the overnight lows because that's, those are our lows here. The, the forecast low for Phoenix tonight is, is 83. Okay? I, I'm talking about, I would kill to have a high of 87. The, the only thing is, is that if it was 87 here, it would be ridiculously muggy. See, the thing about Phoenix is it, it gets to be 105 or 110. And then it's humid on top of that during the monsoon season. People in the East Coast really shouldn't whine. Come here for a summer, and then you can talk to me about heat. East Coast people don't know what heat is. They have no idea what heat is. I just, and I can't stand these stories. They carry on about this heat wave. I mean, I understand. Listen, I do get it. it is a, we're talking about above normal temperatures, but it's the summer. It's hot. And don't give me global warming because it, they have a heat wave almost every summer in the East Coast. Okay, this is not anything that unusual. Yes, it's hot. Yes, there's even been some record high temperatures. Obviously, a record high is, is an unusual occurrence. It's something of an anomaly. That's why it's a record. Nonetheless... You're 90 degrees, you're going to whine, you're going to sit there, oh my God, it's so hot, I, I don't know what to do. Drink some water. Put, put the air conditioner on. Sit in front of a fan. Go to the beach. Go to the pool. Take a cold shower. Uh, there's many ways to cool off. Do I have to lecture the people in the East Coast, these very sophisticated types in Boston and New York City and Washington and... Virginia, all these people, they're just dying. They're dropping they're dropping like flies. Well, Mike, you don't understand. It's 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 90. It's that's hot. The other morning I went outside at 4 30 a.m. It was starting to get light out. It's 4 30 a.m. I looked at the temperature. It was 92.8 degrees outside at 4 30 a.m. 4 30 a.m. before the sun came up. That was the low. Every summer I have to do this rant just because I can't believe that we still have this problem in, in the 21st century with people dying when it gets to 90 degrees. Look, I know homeless people, they have it rough. I get that. I understand. But hell, even our homeless people here in Phoenix, they don't die when it's 110. I don't know how they don't. But they manage to live most of the time. Yeah, we, we have the occasional death here. People don't start dying here until it gets to about 120. We had, uh, well, 20 years ago, 1990, in late June, 
we had that uh, we had those several days of of just incredibly hot temperatures. Uh, one day was one twenty. The following day was 122, and then the day after that, it was 118. Now, 120 degrees in Phoenix, uh, thats it's only happened three times in the history of weather records in Phoenix. Still, that's hot. 110 is hot. 100 is hot. 90, eh, 90 ain't so bad. I mean, I complain when it gets to 90 degrees in April because it's just too early and I just don't want to, I, I, I'm, I'm not ready for what's to come. But I mean, come on. You got, and the other thing about the, that, that people don't understand is, see, here in Phoenix, it's relentless heat. The heat starts in May, sometimes earlier. Starts in May and pretty much unabated continues through September and sometimes even into early October. And it's day after day. No cold front comes through here. The only relief that we have are these summer thunderstorms that come through. That's it. And it's not like that's every single day that we have those. See, you'll have period, you'll have a, a few days where it gets hot, where it gets to 90 or 95 degrees. And then it cools off for several days. It cools off at 78, 82, something like that. And it's nice, it's dry, and then it's and then it warms up again. Not here. I'm looking at the temperatures for um for for the last uh, for for the month of June here. I'm looking at the our actual highs. It was pretty much 100 degrees 22 or 23 of the of the 30 days in June. Yeah, we had a couple of days where it wasn't. We actually had one day where it was like 87. But pretty much you can count on it being over 100 for most of the time. I would say 90% of the days from May through September, I mean, you can count on, you know, 90 days out of the year, at least it's 100 degrees or more here in Phoenix. So I don't get it. I don't get why people are dying there, but I just thought I'd give that uh, sort of obligatory shout out to uh, the peeps on the East Coast. It's called an air conditioner. Look into it. I'm not saying you don't have the right to complain. We all have the right to complain. That's what this entire show is about. (laughs) But... I don't know, the news, it just... It, when we were 114 last week, nobody said boo about it. We only missed a record by about three degrees. All right. Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. Also, the PayPal address for this program. Please, I, I really could use your contributions to this program. If you like the show, you want to continue it on the air... Let's uh, let's have those uh, contributions, your most generous donations. Mike at KMGX.com, the PayPal address. Michael Groff Show. That is the screen name on AOL Instant Messenger. And, uh, of course, MichaelGroff.com for all other assorted things Michael Groff related. All right, we will uh, be back for another edition of this show. I'd like to say tomorrow. I'm going to aim for tomorrow, but I'm not going to make any promises whatsoever. I only make promises that I intend to keep. 
And I will tell you this. I don't break my promises. Not like the federal government. Ask anybody. I don't break my promises. Other people do. Feds do. Ex-girlfriends. Etc. But not me. I promise you this. Barring my sudden demise from planet Earth, we will have another podcast for you soon, okay? There. Take that to the man. Have a great night, everybody, and see you next time. Michael Graf in exile. We're out of here. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.